Well, congregation, tomorrow, uh, this morning, not tomorrow, this morning, uh, <laughs> this morning we are going to have a second sermon in a row from the book of Revelation, which is, like I said, a little bit weird for me. But that being said, we are going to talk this morning about the New Jerusalem and some of the particular aspects of the New Jerusalem. And I'm going to ask you to be open in your heart and mind to the Spirit's leading to see where this takes us. Because there are important things about biblical prophecy uh, and about apocalyptic literature, and, and they're difficult things. And so we need to be careful as we approach the Scriptures on these topics. So, we're going to dive right into Revelation chapter 21, verse 10, and then we're going to skip over a bit of the description of the city and move on to verse 22 and following to verse 5 of chapter 22. So, uh, this is the New Jerusalem. If you want, you can pull out your Bibles and read the intervening stuff as well, um, but uh, we will... We will start at verse 10. Actually, I'm going to just tell you what verse 9 says because it's very important as well. So uh, if you want to listen to that, and then we'll go on to verse 10. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Then moving on to verse 22, we read, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord our God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Uh, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Today will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him face and his name will be on their foreheads there will be no more night they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun for the lord god will give them light and they will reign forever and ever the word of the lord amen well brothers and sisters 
what do we do with this passage? What does it mean? What does it look like? What will it, what will it feel like to be there? And what meaning or importance does it have for us? Well, one of the typical and important and significant, and I would not discount this in any way, one of the significant and important interpretations of this is that there will be literally at some point when God, uh, when Jesus returns and when heaven and earth is recreated, there will be a literal city of the new Jerusalem and it will be absolutely incredible. It will be a city that fits these descriptions with with three gates on either on all the sides and with these tremendous jewels that that guard those gates, except those gates will always be open and there will be the river that flows through the city, the river of life, and the tree of life will grow on either side of the river, and there will be the sea of crystal and and, and so many things will be part of that. It will be absolutely incredible. But there is an important aspect to this that we must not neglect. And it is not an either-or sort of thing. Uh, it, it's not like this interpretation of this vision that John is having is the correct one and no other interpretations can be correct. That's not quite how biblical prophecy works. Remember, for example, when we talk about uh, the prophecies of uh, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and so on, when we talk about them and they're looking forward, we often actually see that there are two at least interpretations to their prophecy. One is a, a more immediate interpretation that 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 comes true at some point in Israel's history and another one is for example when Isaiah talks about uh, a virgin giving birth right in the immediate context he's talking about uh he's talking about Israel uh returning from exile to the promised land and those prophecies were, were true. But also, Isaiah, whether he is aware or not, is also prophesying about Jesus, the Messiah, and Mary, his mother. It's not one or the other. It's both. And I know that's weird for us to grapple with. It's a little poetic, a little literary, a little bit nebulous for us. But it's nonetheless true. That's the way often biblical prophecy works. And, and so as we talk this morning, please don't hear that I am saying to us that, that there's no real holy city of the new Jerusalem, that there's no actual you know, coming down from heaven and so on. No, no, no. That's not at all what I'm saying. I don't believe you can make that interpretation legitimately here. If, if God decides that this all metaphorical or whatever, that's, 
that's between him and the prophecy he gave to John and nothing for me to worry about at this moment. But there is something that's incredibly important to us right here and right now. If you have your Bibles open and you're looking at that, look at verse 9 again and see what the angel says. What does the angel say? Somebody read it aloud for me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Who is the bride of... Well, okay, first of all, Jesus. That's a good, easy Sunday school answer for you. Who's the Lamb? Jesus, right? And who's the bride of Jesus? The church. So therefore, who is the new Jerusalem? The church, Right? Okay, this is important. This is important, right? Not because there's not a literal new Jerusalem coming at some point or another. That's, that's, that's not why that's important. What's important about that is that there are characteristics about the church that are being described here relevant for you and I right now because we are the bride of Christ. We are the church. We are this. Right? In some very real senses, this is us, not in some future time, but this is us right now. Right? So, w- this is the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And, and we, we have these, these descriptions. We skip a little bit. We get to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Who's the temple? The Lord God Almighty are its temple. And the Lamb are its temple. Right? If we're the church and we're the bride and the Lord God Almighty is our temple, then, oh, wait, God is talking about how God is living with us right now. You and I right now are the temple in which the Lord makes his dwelling. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. We don't need light, not necessarily physical light or whatever, but we certainly don't need the light of earthly philosophies or political heroes or or monetary resources or whatever. Our light, our light as the church, is God. That's what we need to rely on. That's our light in our lives, right? Right now, not just in the future. Right now. No temple, no light. Why? Because God is the temple, because God is the light, right? The nations will walk by its light. Actually, Jason and I were having this conversation at the wedding a little bit uh, a while ago. And that is that Canada, even though so many of us as Canadians are not at all Christians, Canadian law... It is built on, however imperfectly, Canadian law is built on biblical principles. And so many countries, that is true, right? Now, like I said, it's not at all perfect. 
But a lot of the roots for Canadian law and many other countries' law is in biblical ideas. And as Canada drifts farther and farther away from God in terms of our overall population and belief and so on and so forth, a lot of those underpinnings get eaten away at. And it's difficult. But the origins are there, however imperfect they may be. And it is true, not only in the future will the nations walk by the light of God, but it is also true that we right now, as we proclaim the good news to the world, nations build their... (laughs) Nations walk by its light. And the kings of earth bring their splendor into it. And it's also true that as the church, church not the building, but as the church, as the bride of Christ, our doors should never be shut. That's what it says next. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. As Christ followers, we walk around as the community of God and we do our thing and our doors should never be shut to the people around us. To the world around us. You come to the church, you find a refuge. You find a safe place. You find God and His bride. That's what we are to be. And that's what, by God's grace, in our best moments, that's what we are to this world. The gates are never shut. The people can come. The nations walk by its light. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing, (laughs) this is nice, nothing evil or impure rather will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And this is where we need to be careful with our definitions of church. right? Our definition of church is not in theological terms, we talk about the church as institution. Okay, That's not what God is talking about here. God is not talking about this particular organization that is Athens Christian Reformed Church. Church, church. I used to say church when I was a kid all the time. Couldn't say church properly. Apparently that's creeping up on me. Right? So um, it's not about Athens Christian Reformed Church, the, the organization that is incorporated and, and comes under the authority of the, the I don't know, whatever government authority we have or whatever right no no no. we're talking about the church invisible or the church universal this is the 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 thing that we can't always see but god sees constantly and that's what he means by the church and he is seeing the church based on the hearts of the people who are in the church right so he sees people who are sitting in the pews and he sees people who never come to church and he sees people who who are struggling mightily huge and heavy burden that they've had since their childhood and, and can't can't bear to think about darkening the door of a church building but who are nonetheless part of the church. And, and people who are in the farthest corners of the world and who have never heard the gospel, but, but nonetheless are striving to please 
God, even a God whom they haven't heard specifically about. He sees their part of the church, right? So this is the church that he's seeing. And not only that, but he sees that church all all ages, past, present, future, the church that he sees. And that church, that church, unlike the institutional church of this world, that church is free from the sully of and of disappointment and of corruption and so on. Not because its individuals are perfect, but because they have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. They are His saints. And so when God says to, to John through this vision that nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He's not meaning people who were who never did anything bad, but rather He means people who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, you and I and all of our brothers and sisters, past, present, and future. And so that describes some of what the church does and some of what the church is to the world around us. But then we look even more closely. Then the angel, chapter 22, showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. Where is the throne of God? The throne of God is in us, in the temple, where God makes His dwelling with us. And so where is the water of life flowing from? It's flowing from God living within us, out. Oh, Does that mean that you and I are in some way conduits for the water of life? Oh yeah, I think it does. The water of life flows from God through us as the church out into the world. On each side of the river stands the tree of life stood the tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Right? We are there. And the, the trees are where? They're in us as the church. We are the ones who give out the fruit, the tree of life for the healing of the nations to the world around us. This is what the church does. Not because we're so amazing, but because of what God has done. God lives within us. And because of that, the water of the river of life flows through us. And the the tree of life, the fruit of the tree of life is given out to the healing for the healing of the nations. And, And no longer will there be any curse. I have seen this, brothers and sisters, so many times in little ways. Ways where, and, and, and big ways. I mean, maybe not big ways. I haven't seen directly, for example, the healing of the rift between Putin and the Ukrainians or anything. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. But, but in significant ways, you see that when you listen to God's calling and you obey His calling, then that water of life and that, that tree of life, that healing comes through and, and, and the curse is taken away. 
So that someone who has been living in darkness and wrestling with shame and guilt for their whole life finally gets it that the gospel means that that's not where they need to be. They don't have to be wallowing in guilt for their whole lives. Or the reality that the the person who, who has tried to follow Jesus their whole life finally clicks in to the reality that, that it can't just be you know, Sunday Christian. It can't just be that one part of their life is for Jesus and the other parts are for work or family or farm or whatever. They finally get it that, that all of it has to be for Jesus. And that the, the love they give to, to their farm or their family or their friends, <laughs> three Fs, Right, the the love that they give out to those things is not instead of love to Jesus. It is rather love to Jesus. Therefore, they love their family and friends and farm or business or whatever, right? And the healing happens, and the curse is removed. Brothers and sisters, there may indeed. And I would not doubt it at all. Like I said to the kids, I'm looking forward to it. There may indeed be a literal new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. But at the same time, it is definitely true that we are the new Jerusalem. And that the healing of the nations comes through us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray very much that you would guide us as we are the new Jerusalem, your bride. Lord God, please forgive us for our sins, but please also forward as the healing of the nations you bring through us, O God. Father, we pray that we may do so as we walk and talk. That we may bring life to people. That we may bring life and healing wherever we go. Lord, protect us from anything impure or evil. And help us, O God, to see Your face every day. To walk with You, for You, O God, are our Lord and King. And You make Your temple within us. And You are our light, O God. Lord, help us in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.